Hi. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael Steger, and my family and I joined Favumsi roughly this time last year. I'm humbled and blessed to be able to share my message with you today. I'd like to thank Shelby, Pastor Hope, and Pastor Owen for asking me to speak with you. Let this be a lesson when it comes to joking around each Sunday about tagging in and delivering their sermons for them. I also want to thank my wife, Mary, who helped me organize my thoughts, craft my message, and did not let me resort to using ChatGPT to write this. Now, at the risk of sounding like an acceptance speech, let me get to my message. If you were here last week, you heard the start of the new sermon series titled, With Our Whole Selves. Pastor Hope introduced us to the Shema. Quick recap, this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now it turns out I am not a biblical scholar or an etymologist, but I'm pretty excited about sounding like one. You see, the Hebrew word for heart, again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, is lev. But in Jesus' time, there was no concept of anatomy or bodily systems like the cardiovascular system or the nervous system. There are actually 11 total, by the way. It was believed that the anatomic heart, which was still known to be a vital organ, was the source not only for love, but was also believed to contain the mind and consciousness. Thus, lev took on multiple meanings depending upon how it was used uh, in the Hebrew. Just like in English, the same word would take on different meanings based on the context in which it was being used. Now, going a step further, Lev Shalem means whole heart. We've heard Pastor Hope and Pastor Owen discuss having a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. Turning your whole heart to God meant, of course, being filled with love for God, but also keeping your mind and consciousness on Him too turning every fiber of your being over to him, focusing your thoughts and feelings directly on him. Perhaps you can begin to see how our mind can be our greatest barrier to loving God fully and wholly with our whole selves. How often is God truly at the forefront of your mind any given week? Now you may ask, well, if you are not some famed word expert, then what is your background? Well, I work as a primary care provider in the area, and I have direct experience working with patients on not just their physical health, but also their mental health, their mind. In fact, I bear witness to the exponential uptick in mental health conditions, including the obvious anxiety and depression diagnoses we are all too familiar with. I see it permeating through so much of the population, and I would bet that if you are, by the grace of God, not personally afflicted, chances are you at least know someone close to you who is. Of course, I see men and women alike who are equally affected, and I am thankful more people are opening up than used to, men in particular, especially when it has always been such a sign of weakness and so taboo. I end up spending a lot of time with patients on their mental health because it is so prevalent. It can also be impossible to get your physical health right when your mental health isn't right. 
I would say the same can be said of our faith. Our lev, or our mind, can be the weak point. Unfortunately, we live in a time when our minds are preoccupied and overrun with so much external stimuli and so easily hijacked by materialism and by news and by social media and comforts and pleasures that our minds can easily become corrupted. Instead of filling our mind with love and thoughts of our creator, it is instead filled with fear and worry. How many of you worry? How many of you worry when you're not worried? How many of you are someone who rarely worries? Well, I think it best to define what we mean by worry. The official definition is giving way to anxiety or unease, allowing one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. See, worry can be brought about by just about anything. But in my experience, worry can be boiled down to a lack of control. When our mind is filled with worry, it becomes almost impossible to offer our whole heart or lev shalem. In fact, God is often the last thing on our mind. Instead, we are inundated with worry about meeting deadlines, what to cook for dinner, affording groceries, paying bills. We fixate and replay all the slights and consider all the worst-case scenarios. And when we feel a lack of control, we feel unable to assert our influence on the world and feel we can't make a difference. We can feel ineffective and inadequate. We may feel shame or embarrassment. We may feel angry or bitter or feel despair and hopelessness. Of course, worry can prevent self-love, not arrogance, but self-acceptance and self-content. It's near impossible to truly love others or God when there's no real love for oneself. Furthermore, when we are in the midst of trials and tribulations and are looking through a lens of worry, it can be easy for every bad thing that follows to be a self-serving prophecy, evidence of why everything bad always happens to us, that we are alone, that God and the world are against us how scary it is, and how easy and swiftly one can end up isolated and in the darkness. Now, some may defend worry because it's their identity. They may say, well, that's just the way I am, or it's got me this far. The procrastinators would say, well, I work best under pressure. Now, some may argue worry and anxiety are a defense mechanism for a reason. If we didn't worry about things, then we'd never take precautions like wearing a helmet or seatbelt getting our health screenings. True, but for most, worry does not stop there. Instead of just having a plan B or plan C, they may be all the way up to plan J, K, L, M, N, O, and P. It becomes all-consuming. Going back to our definition, the constant dwelling on the unease and troubles, especially when it is very unlikely to never even get to plan JKLMNOP in the first place is unnecessary and counterproductive. It again prevents both mental and spiritual growth. Fear and worry also cause a recurrent stress response on the body, fight or flight. The body is in a constant heightened state with a flooding of hormones like cortisol and catecholamines like epinephrine and norepinephrine. This was so we could have the energy to quickly escape our threats. Only in this case, 
we never actually escape those fears and worries. We continue ruminating on them, rehashing and reliving them. This also leads to increases in blood sugar, blood pressure, as well as oxidation and hypermethylation, but I digress. Think back to a time when, let's say you lost something, even something as simple as your keys, or think back to a time when you had to make a big life decision. How many have you said, hold on so I can get into a state of worry and figure this out? No. We have to get away from worry into a better state of mind. Friends, worry is a poison. It is the antithesis of living with Lev Shalem. I'd also argue worry can keep us from trusting God with our full selves. I'm sure many of you have already considered Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Perhaps, friends, this is also why the most common command in the Bible is do not be afraid. It is stated roughly 70 times. Well, then how do we do this? How do we stop our mind from worry and fear? Well, we already know the answer. It is to surrender that worry to God. We must give up something to get something. Give the uh, old ways away to achieve the new way of life that Jesus invites us into. We have to give away worry in all the behaviors, all the actions or inactions that lead to more worry and suffering. It's a true reckoning of all the parts of our lives and our thoughts that hold us hostage to worry and fear. It doesn't just happen on its own. It demands a decision to change followed by execution. It is hard, but worrying is even harder. So which form of hard will you choose? Just know you are not alone. We all are struggling in our own individual ways. Do not ignore your worries or the behaviors that precipitate them. Avoidance is never the solution, but a continuation of the problem. Confronting those fears and worries with our whole selves and with God in mind help us see the lessons we are being taught and the growth that is being achieved. It can further exhibit how unnecessary and unfounded many of those fears and worries really were how much they distracted us from living with Lev Shalem. Simplifying can also lead to a calmer state. Determining what truly warrants the time and energy. Clear away the dead wood. A pruning, if you will. Cut away all the aspects of yourself and your thinking that do not bear fruit. It takes honesty and vulnerability. Sometimes cutting away the dead wood can be the hardest thing you will ever do. Letting go of those negative pieces of yourself. You may feel you are left with only a few twigs or nothing more than a splinter. It may feel like there's virtually nothing left of the old you. But so be it. Let those twigs or that splinter be what you build your foundation off of. You will find you are stronger 
than you realized, and you are able to shoulder an even bigger burden than when you took on worry on your own. Then what? Well, let your mind gravitate towards forgiveness, gratitude, and empathy. In fact, there are several studies that demonstrate lower risk for heart attacks and longer life expectancy for patients who regularly practice and engage in those behaviors and ways of thinking. I can provide sources for any who are interested. This clears our mind to focus on nothing but God. This puts us back on track with loving with our whole selves. Our heart, our mind, our consciousness. Roughly one year ago, I underwent my own reckoning. I felt worry from spreading myself too thin and feeling like I was losing control. This was years in the making and, of course, self-inflicted. Then a switch flipped. I call it the Holy Spirit working within me. I stopped doom scrolling and I started exercising. I eliminated alcohol and mindless eating and replaced it with much healthier foods. I turned off the news and focused on getting better sleep. And I ended up losing over 50 pounds and ran my first ever half marathon. What also was paramount was the love and support of my family. And all of this coincided with signing up for Core 1 and then Core 2. It allowed me to find God in my everyday life, discovering He never left me, but was right there beside me the whole time. I was so moved that I found myself leading my own group through Core 1 and 2, and then leading the leaders. Core 3 began this past Wednesday. All of this has been a true blessing and has led me to this moment with you to be able to share my experiences. I now see God's fingerprints all over my story. This is in no way to insinuate that I have beaten worry, that I have championed this feat and now nothing worries me. Oh no, it is and will be a constant battle until my final breath, requiring vigilance so as not to fall back into the old ways of thinking and resorting back to trying to control all the things outside of my control. The challenges, excuse me, opportunities won't stop coming but I'm getting so much better about giving up my worry to God. And with my changes, I have felt myself living with a more pure heart, my whole heart. In his book, Outlived, by Dr. Peter Atia, he shares the following quote, Maybe the journey isn't about becoming, but about unbecoming. Everything that isn't really who you are, so you can become who you were meant to be in the first place. So no matter what state you find yourself in, no matter how much you are consumed with worry, friends, do not be afraid. Do not consume your mind, your lev, with endless worry. God is with you, you individually. And during this Lenten season, let us reflect on Jesus. Even knowing he would be put to certain death on the night of his arrest in the garden, Jesus did not worry. My friends, May you be freed from the bondages of your worry, even in the face of what can feel like certain death. Turn from worry and instead turn to God. Offer God your whole heart, your Lev Shalem. Thank you. Well, uh, I hope that you enjoyed hearing a bit of Michael's story uh, as much as I have. I actually heard him practice a few weeks ago, and I've really been looking forward to this opportunity because uh, it's been fun from you know our vantage point, Hope and I as pastors, as well as others uh, that have been able to kind of watch 
uh, his own personal internal growth uh, as God's been working on his heart. And so really excited for him to be able to share that. Uh, and now uh, I want to invite you to hear another story. Uh, the Dennings, uh, Wayne and Harriet, are going to share a bit of their story. Uh, before we get into it, um, as powerful as it is, and as much as I hope everyone listens to it, uh, it does cover some hard subjects, um, uh, particularly um, death by suicide, as well as some drug use. So if that's something that um, is not easy for you to hear or those in the room to hear with you, uh, just a heads up that they're about to share their story. Um, but it is a beautiful story, a redemptive story. And I think at the end of the day, uh, it's a story that, that brings us a lot of hope. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, we're so grateful uh, for those in our lives like Michael and for the Dennings who are willing to share uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of their story so that we know that the good and the bad and the ugly of our lives are worth offering to you. And so as the Dennings share their story coming up, as, uh, as Michael has, uh, we just continue to do the work to offer all of our hearts to you, even on days uh, that it's really hard to trust you in that work. Uh, that's what we do. That's what we do together uh, until we can say that it is true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My name is Harriet Denning. And I'm Wayne Denning, her husband. We moved here about seven years ago from Texas and immediately joined Favimsi. Our daughter, as intelligent and beautiful as she was, couldn't live up to her own expectations. She tried to enhance her self-image image with shallow relationships and hard drugs. Mental illness had a firm grip on her. And it was uh, too late when she professed to have found her purpose in her son, Michael. Her band-aids were drugs and alcohol. She continued to spiral downward, eventually taking her own life, her fifth attempt in 10 years, leaving her son in the care of his father this disease, totally out of her control, overpowered her love for her two-year-old. Mike, Michael's father, was embroiled in the addiction of a drug and alcohol lifestyle. We tried to help, even inviting him to live with us. That lasted for almost a year, during which Mike proved that his addiction diminished his inclination and his means to create a home for Michael. We were eventually awarded full custody of our grandson. The relationship with Mike grew quite hostile, especially after we gained custody of Michael. The hostilities only intensified over the years. I couldn't even look at Michael's, Mike's face uh, or even say anything to him for almost 10 years. I was hurt, angry, and grieving over the loss of my daughter and the way in which Michael's father wallowed in his addiction. Then something happened. A nudge, a prayer, a sermon, and a lot more prayer happened. God showed himself and took over the whole situation from a position alongside us with enough love to dispel all the hate that filled our very being. He told us that it was time to forgive for everybody's sake. God really worked on me. At the time, my pain and my anger and my grief were such a loud voice in my heart that I couldn't hear God speaking to me. But he continued to work. He worked on Wayne and he worked on Mike. 
and he worked on us all to enable us forgiveness all around. When that voice finally got away from me and I was no longer wrapped up in my loud noise of, of distrust and hate, um, things began to change. We attended a service uh, and Owen preached about forgiveness and his words through God really sat with me. Um, after a few days, I, I woke up and, and my heart was totally clean. I don't know how to describe it except to say God got to me because I finally opened the door. We have a new relationship now. We have an extended family. Mike and his new wife were nudged into prayer just as we were. We have a new relationship with God at the center. It's really true. God still does miracles. Ephesians 4 says, Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. And I can tell you, no words spoken have ever been more true in our heart. I never thought I could lose that hardness I had, but God really worked on me and never gave up on me, and he won't give up on anybody who loves him. All the glory goes to God in this story. He held us close and guided us as only he could. If you were close to it, you would truly recognize that God is still in the business of doing miracles.